Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, I'm really excited about this episode. Yeah, I am, too. This is the third in an unintentional series about separation. And I say unintentional because when we first sat down, I think we had an idea that you and I would talk about it and that we would, again, we would invite some people on to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But one of the people that we invited on to talk about it actually had a great suggestion and said, hey, you should get the other side of the fence and get them on to talk about it too. So we are really blessed today to have, we're going to hear stories from three people who have experienced separation uh, from the side of being the drinker, from my side of the fence and hear how that process went for them. But before we do, before we bring them on and introduce them, we have a listener question. You ready for this, Sherry? Absolutely. All right. So this person sent me a, a great email. Um, it was it was more than just one question. So I'm going to give just a little bit of background, and then I'll get to the question. Uh, this person says that she tried everything. She had periods of detachment from her alcoholic spouse, Periods of, and and this is something I don't know that we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but her mindset was, if you can't beat them, join them. I know I've heard my mom has said that as Mm -hmm. her approach to drinking. Um, But so if I can't get him to be sober, I'll just drink along with him. Um, She had periods of talking about his drinking in the past that have not gone well at all. So that communication about alcohol is a tough subject. And her question is, um, given all that she's been through and all that she's tried, um, she really wants, it sounds like a confrontation, an effective confrontation. And she says, how do I bring up that I think he is an alcoholic? What do you think, Sherry? You want to take a stab at that first? Uh, Pass. Pass. (laughs) Pass on having the conversation. You want me to go first? You can go first. Well, I. You've had a little, you know, you've had a little insight. I had a little more time to think about this. Yeah. Um, I think that detachment is more powerful than words. That's one of the things that I've learned over the years. I mean, when you, when you pulled away from me and stopped engaging in these types of conversations, that's when I got scared. That's when I got scared that you were leaving or that I was leaving and that uh, our relationship was coming to an end. And that's when I got serious about considering sobriety. So I don't know how effective the words can be. And if, if she is going to choose to talk about it, I don't think you say, you know, I think, or I I think you might have a drinking problem or I've got questions about your drinking. I think you state the fact and you do the mic drop and you walk out of the room. Uh, That's, that's what would have been more impactful to me. Cause if you had engaged me, Sherry, in conversation, if you had said, Hey, let's talk about your drinking. I think you might have a problem. I would have gone into immediate spin mode and started deflecting and defending and telling you, I don't have a drink problem. You've got a drink. This is your problem. You're not comfortable being around alcohol. What's the matter with you, Sherry? Mm-hmm. So I think if you talk about it, you got to be like definitive, um, not mean, not, you know, angry, but just, Hey, you are an alcoholic. I can see it. It's clear. And, um, you know, maybe you talk about boundaries, but I, I don't see engaging in what do you think about, you know, my my questioning of your drinking? I don't yeah. know. What do you think? 
Yeah, I probably would avoid saying I think or, you know, like I researched. I would maybe just approach it like I'm not comfortable with the way you drink and I no longer want to participate in this. And I don't want to be around it and then have those boundaries. Um, I think that sometimes when. I mean, when you're probably approaching this conversation, there has already been a lot of other conversations that have taken place. So the person who has and the apparently they didn't go well. Yeah. And the person that has the alcohol use disorder has probably done their own research and you could probably find a lot of information that, you know, can be counterintuitive to what you're trying to present as an argument, like saying you're an alcoholic. I would just say the way you drink doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me feel good. I'm not going to be a part of it. I like that even better because then you're, that's, uh, you're pulling it back to yourself and making boundary setting easier because you're saying, I don't care what you call yourself. I don't right. care what you think of your drinking. It It's not something I want to be around anymore. So Right. For all the years that you tried to normalize the amount that you would drink. And I would say, well, it doesn't seem like that's what the American, you know, standard is. And you would just argue like, ah, nobody drinks like that. You know, so there was a lot of gaslighting going on. So if I took it all on me, like that's not, you know, because we did that a little bit right in our relationship. You said any alcohol Monday through Thursday after work is not in your comfort zone, Sherry, because you didn't see someone drink like that. That's how your father drank. He had a couple of drinks after work every night. And that was very normalized to you. For me, that wasn't normalized. Social drinking is more normalized. Yeah. So I think if you just keep it all on yourself, I'm not comfortable. I, it doesn't make me feel good. I like that way better. Forget everything I said. That was that's better. Uh, I'm not, I don't care what the word is or the term. I don't like being around this and that's how it is. That's, uh, that's good. Tom, were you, uh, were you a deflector and a, um, you know, a, a gaslighter like I was, were you, uh, everybody drinks like this. What are you concerned about when the concerns would come your way? Yeah, it was, uh, it would be, I would deflect and then, um, it would always be easy to, um, you know, point, point the finger that, you know, I, it, at least I'm not that bad. Uh, you know, eventually, unfortunately, it turned into being that bad. Uh, but when we were having the conversations, it was usually, you know, it was easy to say, hey, you know, I'm I'm not uh, that bad. Because, you know, for me, I think we can talk about it more as we get going. But, you know, I never, uh, and I'm not trying to make the distinction um, now, but I probably was then uh, that, you know, I never deviated from beer. So I never did uh, Jack Daniels or, or or anything like that. So it was like, hey, at least I'm not uh, doing that. At least I'm not passing out. Uh, yeah. So it's like it's the thing that you talked about. You know, I'm not the the gutter drunk or whatever that that you use the phrase. So uh, yeah, it was more of a deflection um, for sure. But I agree with Sherry on the deal that uh, you know if I'm rational, and and Mindy was rational during this, and there was a conversation that hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Um, it would have been an easier conversation to have if it if we'd gone about it that that with that approach yeah how about you brian did you deflect or did you accept the uh conversations with more grace than perhaps i did no i didn't accept it at all um i we had a long drinking history you know we met when we were 18 years old and uh, drinking was part of our early relationship um and continued on for almost 30 years well not completely but anyway um so we had a long drinking history together. It was very acceptable in our families. 
um, too much so. And then uh, over time, my wife felt like she felt like she was drinking too much. I remember her saying, I'm having a glass of wine a night. I'm drinking too much. And I, I couldn't comprehend that, of course. You know, I was like, what? that's nothing, you know. Um, I guess people would call it a normie or a normal drinker can do that and still be okay and, and be able to walk away from it easily. Um, whereas I was matching her drinking exponentially you know, and, and, and manipulating and hiding the amount that I was drinking that much like you talked about in the past, but it was taking a swig here and there, hiding stuff around the house. And it was, I was drinking a lot more than she had any clue about. And she just saw what I was drinking. About. Maybe I had a problem. So, you know, I, I was clearly not in the right mind to accept that type of criticism. I, I, um, I'll be I'll be six months and nine days, six months sober and nine days. And um, I, I think back and it's just it's it's appalling all the things I did and the way I acted and the way I deflected and denied and didn't accept when she she used the word alcoholic many, many times or the term alcoholic many times. And I just refused. And I, I kept saying, no, you know, I may drink too much, but I'm not an alcoholic. And it wasn't until I fully accepted that I was before I could really embrace recovery. Um, but no, I deflected it. I didn't accept it. Um, I lied. I manipulated. I did all the things to preserve my drinking. Um, anything I could do to make sure I got that next drink. So no, I, I didn't accept it at all. You know, you talk about looking back after six months coming, coming right up on six months and recognizing the degree to which your mind shifted over the you know, just this past six months, that's a big part of what we want to talk about in the main topic of conversation today. So I'm really glad you led into that. Um, thanks guys for on the spot, kind of addressing this listener question, Kyle, I, I want to start with you, your story, your experience with separation, uh, was e extended. This wasn't just a quick, um, you know, Hey, let's have a therapeutic 30 days apart from each other. It was quite a process to the time that you spent out of the house. And I'm hoping you can tell our listeners what precipitated that and what the experience was like. How did you feel in the moment versus looking back on it? What do you think the benefit of the time away was? That's that's a lot, but I'll, sure. I'll just kind of leave it open for you. Yeah, uh, Matt, I didn't live in, in the house with my family for just over two years. Um, I think what really precipitated that was just the fact that I could not maintain sobriety for like a consistent amount of time. Um, I would go 30 days or 60 days. Inevitably I would have a, a disastrous relapse of some point where <clears throat> my wife just couldn't take kind of the ups and downs anymore. Um, and she didn't know what else to do. She had started, you know, kind of working a, a program of her own and realizing she needed to to set boundaries. I think when she first asked me to move out, um, I mean, I, I didn't want to, right? I was, I was bitter. I was angry. This is my house too. This is my family. Um, but I didn't, you know, I, I felt like I didn't have a choice, right? If I looked inside myself, I was like, I, I can't keep living this way in this cycle. Um, started out in treatment. Um, and then went into a sober living and then be moved. Be before you get into that, and I want you to get into that, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that feeling mm. 
of, you know, digging your heels in because we hear that a lot. That's very common where people say, what, you know, I looked at the mortgage document and my name's on there. So you can go (laughs) pound sand if you think I'm going to leave. Did you, did you feel backed into the corner to the, to the degree that you thought if you didn't agree to this, like she was going to start filing divorce papers like this. Did you feel like this was at least a stopgap from slowing down what seemed inevitable at the time? Or did you finally say, all right, you know, uh, maybe this is what I need for my sobriety. How how did that go in your head? Yeah. I mean, ultimately I wanted what's best for my family, right. Um, for my kids, uh, for my wife. Um, and so I tried to set some of that aside, right. Um, and think about, okay, what do I need for myself as well, long-term, right? Um, and I think part of the feeling is, right, I you, you hate, I hated the thought of like being alone and left to quote, fend for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the scariest part is I didn't know what I would do without the support and accountability of like being with my immediate family. Um but at the same point, I didn't know. Yeah, I, she would, you know, she was, I felt like she was at a breaking point, right? Um, that something drastic needed to change, right? Um, and so I, I did, right? I just kind of kept taking, I didn't have a master plan, right? I yeah. had no idea what to think, what the future holded uh, or was going to hold outside of just taking the next next step, almost just one step at a time. So at that time, I didn't know you know, what I was going to do. I was just, you know, early on, right. I checked in and nope, not welcome back yet. So then I figured something else out, right. Nope, not welcome back yet. Figured something else out. So so when you first left the house, was it directly into rehab? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then from there, you were starting to say when I interrupted, but I just think that piece is so important that digging your heels in and how do you get over that hump? Um, I mean, it is like as an, as an addict, you know, or alcoholic myself. Right. Um, I, I don't know, you know, I do not like change. I like to be able to control my own narrative. mm -hmm. Um, and so it's really hard to to get to that point of like kind of surrendering to something that you don't you feel pretty strongly yourself you don't want to do but i felt felt like too for me like that's what alcoholism is right like it's this constant battle and this fight for control or try to control things or control alcoholism whatever it may be right and i think i was just at that kind of point where um i was being almost pushed to surrender and so I was trying to give in. So during the, like you said, almost two years out of the house, was it always something structured like a rehab or a sober living? Or you you said, you know, you just, you just figured it out as you went along or were there times where you were couch surfing or went home to family? Like, was it all of the above kind of a thing? Um, I I tried sober living right after treatment um, for a couple months. I met another guy there. We wanted to, he became my best friend. Um, we wanted to get our own apartment and kind of, you know, try this outside of sober living. It wasn't a great situation. That specific situation wasn't a super great situation. Um, and so we moved out. We got our own apartment and and we moved out. So I, I lived with him for uh, 
nine months. Gotcha. Okay. So you would check in and say, are you ready for me to come home now? Are you ready for me to come home now? Even while you were getting no's, did you start to feel like a shift? Like did, you had a long history of, as did I, of failed attempts at sobriety. So I can see where she would be like, yeah, no, time hasn't enough time hasn't passed. I don't have the trust yet. I don't, I'm not, I'm not convinced. Did you start to feel like she was making headway and being comfortable with your progress even before you moved back in? No, actually it was <laughs> by the time I moved out into my apartment, um, I felt like this was kind of the way it was going to end actually. Really? Um, I think I had finally almost admitted to myself that, um, you know, it had been long enough since I'd lived at home. Um, we were getting into a new routine of me living out that this was, it kind of started to become like my actual reality. Right. Um, and that I was going to be having to go through this on my own, you know, stay sober on my own, live with myself. And I think that was like the scariest part. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then so scary, but is there, God, I, your story is so interesting to me. Is there strength in that or, or growth in that? I mean, one of the things that Sherry and I have noticed is we are a better couple now because we're both way more independent than we used to be. When I was leaning on her so hard for support to help me get sober and she was reluctantly there for me in that regard. We were both a mess. And now that we have grown as individuals, we're better in relationship with each other because we're not as needy and we're not as, um, you know, I don't react to everything she says. And we're just individual humans that happen to have chosen to live together. So as terrifying as that must have been, do you feel like that being forced to do this on your own, was there benefit from that now looking back? Oh, hundred percent. Right. At the time though, I think I, I said scary, right. Because I think I was like facing the reality that I have to learn to, to be my own independent person. Right. Like you said, I, I have to man it. Right. I can't rely on another person, place or thing to do this for me or with me, right? I need to be able to do it on my own. Um, so at that point, yeah, I was becoming more independent. I, I didn't know what she was doing on, you know, her own outside of knowing that she was basically a single mother taking care of the household, raising the kids, right? Right. Um, going through her own, you know, process. Um, but really, like I, at that point, was really focused on myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so talk about how the, the reconciliation, the coming home eventually happened. Yeah. So, I mean, after that apartment, my, my roommate and kind of who became my best friend, he uh, eventually died of suicide in our apartment. Um, I found him there and I quickly became a, a mess again um, sure. and went, I didn't know what else to do at the time. Right. We had to leave the apartment. I didn't know where else to go. Um, so I, I went back into a sober living that was even a little bit further away um, just to kind of reground myself. Um, Did you stay sober that whole time after his passing? No. There was a relapse in there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
there was a relapse. So I went into treatment um, right away. Um, and that's where I kind of started. Okay. Like I feel like my life is, is starting over, right. Um, refiguring it out. Uh, and then I went into, I kind of made the decision that like a best, you know, like a long-term sober living was going to be good. And so I had kind of made a commitment to stay there for a year. Right. Um, and it was during that time, um, I had also now lost my job um going back into treatment um and so i decided just not to go back to work um to focus on getting into healthy routines healthy habits again and i think at that point when i started really you know okay i'm i'm further away this is the new reality be the best co-parent i can um that's when i think i really started to grow as a person and it was over that process of that next kind of nine months where my wife started to see a change in me. Um, can't speak for her, maybe a change in herself. And then during that process, I was invited to move back home, which again was another big adjustment and kind of like a reimagining of, of the new reality. Of course, I was like joyous, right? And, and happy and it, it was wonderful. Um, but we did come back together, I think, after this extended period and all of the things that now I had went through for the previous 18 months, um, uh, you know, was uh, we really had to, like, readjust and we came back healthier and stronger. Yeah. And, you know, today, um, having lived back home now uh, a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, like we're I feel like we're a stronger couple than ever before right and now i can say probably the best decision we ever made to basically formally separate right um again wasn't necessarily one that i made at the time but the way the circumstances worked out it ended up being the best thing for us we were able to grow independently recover both of us recover independently um and you know kind of realign those values realign our life and and that's where we are today and it, it's it's wonderful yeah hard, hard to even imagine when going into it and you're thinking that you're coming to an end that it could it could come around the way it has for you i mean i'm just so happy for you but i don't want to i don't want to skip over or um give kind of short attention to the re-entry piece because so she's been running this household her way for two years mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the kids are used to certain things. She's used to certain things. And all of a sudden you're back. Um, was your expectation level realistic from the standpoint of, you know, I can't just come in here and start, you know, we're going to do this this way. And here's how I want that. Like, did you ease back into that? Or was there a lot of tension? It's funny. There really wasn't much easing. Cause at this point I had taken a new job. I was now fully remote. So we were both going to be working from home, <laughs> right? There was no, dad's going off to work right yeah um, we're both you know our home like and togetherness is now our life right yeah like, i work from home you live at home you sleep at home um so it was like very very abrupt but i think we just you know we realized we were still best friends we felt each other were great parents um and we wanted the best for each other 
Um, and so I think we kind of relied on just, you know, some of that foundation to rebuild, like, what a marriage should look like, right? I, I I can't say like as soon as I moved back, it it felt like you know we were in a marriage right right away, um, and that that process itself has taken time, but um, we had that vision. I I think you had mentioned something earlier, Matt, about um, how you and Sherry kind of coming back as as you know friends or whatever, but that's the same. That was kind of the same way. Like we knew, you know. We had something we wanted to reinvigorate that, but uh, it took time to rebuild kind of a new marriage, right? The way we wanted, because the previous one was full of so many ups and downs, you know, due to yeah. my alcoholism. And it, it's hard to fight, you know, when you're in the battle to know what to do, right? Um, I, I'm a believer that the trust and intimacy piece is the hardest and longest term recovery part of this takes the longest to come back where do you feel like you are on the trust scale like are you there or is that something that's still being worked on for the most part it's gotten a lot better over this amount of time but yes not something that happens in days weeks or months um Mm -hmm. not even probably the first year right Mm -hmm. um and there still are certain triggers that she may have right of of questioning like you know occasionally i would come back from something and she's like oh i had a weird thought or you know something and are you sober right or you know she'll take a deep breath around me to try to smell she's got a keen Mm. nose now right um (laughs) um but it's 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 come back right we we've done a lot of things uh i think together to work on our marriage um gone through a lot of things like the past you know almost two years now uh living back home um yeah and it's probably close to uh you know a hundred percent but i couldn't say like it's it's a hundred percent there from from her piece right i bet in a year you'll look back and be like huh i can't believe a year ago i thought that was close to a hundred percent right <laughs> the growth continues it continues and, uh, right that's the best it, part of it is <clears throat> is being healthy um being a little bit more understanding knowing through knowing that we each went through our struggle we came out stronger on the other side and we're building from like the right foundation. Now I feel like, um, that it can only improve. Right. Well, your story is such a testament to, um, what can happen when you're committed, not, not to the relationship or to each other, but you're committed to yourself and you're committed to recovery and getting healthy and come what may you'll deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the fact that you're not, you know, kind of misremembering it and and going back and saying, oh, I knew all along that if I if I did these things, I'd be back in that. Like you're you're so honest and raw about it that it it makes it such a a, a story that can we you know there's a lot of lessons in there for all of us. So, Cal, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you you sharing um, what you shared today. Thank you, Matt. It's it's wonderful to be able to talk to you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Tom, could you tell us a little bit about your story, kind of the period leading up to uh, when you left the house? What what kind of came about to um, make that the the ultimate decision? And what was your mindset going through that period? We've we talked earlier about how, like, I never even thought separation was 
a reasonable thing to consider. Were, were you of that mindset or, or, you know, just kind of talk us through it. No, uh, not initially. Uh, other than, um, you know, just a, a little bit of context. Uh, so I, I get out of uh, rehab after um, I essentially World War Three with with Mindy and I uh, into drinking and uh, that had gone on. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm drinking and I'm actually drinking more um, and and hiding and lying um, and probably gaslighting uh, to the point that Mindy just couldn't take it any longer. So so she during the fall of 2021, um, she kind of moves out and goes and moves in temporarily uh, with with a, with one of her best friends. Um, so then I had the um, house to myself. Um, and then I just slipped further and further and further away. And um, if we were together, um, it was just um, it just would would turn ugly. The fighting would be would just be circular arguments. Um, you know, I would throw things in her face that, you know, I'm trying because I guess I got a sponsor through AA and I kind of half ass joined the shout group um, kind of in a way to say, look, I, you know, I'm working, you know, let's work on this together. Um, and I think she had just kind of had it. Um, and then the holidays were in that fall uh, of uh, fourth quarter of 2021. And then that was just ugly. Uh, and then um, without any sort of emotion, um, Mindy had kind of come up with the idea that um, we have to do something. And this something is either um, you you move out, find a place, or or I'm going to. And again, it was always just going to be temporarily uh, until you can figure this out. Um, and so I, I don't think I can underscore this enough that I wouldn't be on this uh, call with you guys uh, had that not happened. So for as painful uh, as it was, um, you know, I, I, I just literally needed that to kind of snap me out of the, the direction that I was going. I was tail spinning and it was getting worse um, and the health was getting bad um, and it was just getting worse and worse. So I literally needed just that um kind of i think someone had mentioned it on the, one of the calls on the other side from the echoes that um the spouse just needed that as a a, a wake-up call it's like now uh now i guess it's getting serious <laughs> even though all the yeah, stuff yeah. leading up to it was serious it was what it, it was that kind of definitive it's um you or me um and at the time um it's important to note that uh, the two oldest kids um, were moving back in just temporarily. They had gone to college and they were coming back just till one of the other colleges opened up um, in Wyoming and the other one got a place in Kansas City. So I was so excited that they were going to come back. And then I had to kind of I had to move out as they're moving back in. So um, but it was clearly um, I it was had I had it had to happen that way. Uh, for the kids to come back because otherwise they just weren't going to, they would have figured something out, but they weren't going to come back to their own childhood home. If I was still here. Wow. That's mm. super interesting. Also you alluded to, or you mentioned this, but I don't, I want to underscore this a little bit too. Mindy had, you know, done some, for lack of a better term, couch surfing. I think she actually had a spare bedroom that she was in, but she had done, you know, not a, I'm moving out, I'm renting an apartment um, you know, there's paperwork that's being signed. She was just staying with a friend when, when it was just too much and overwhelming for her. Did that give you 
you know, kind of evidence that, oh, she's serious. Like she's already, she's already done this to a, an informal degree. And so when she's talking about, you need to find a place, she's not messing around. Like, did that, did that make it more serious for you that she had already halfway done it? Yeah, definitely. You know, I knew that, um, that, that at this point, um, she was serious, um, you know, and I know she was before. And then we even tried uh, Matt and Sherry and got, you know, we did, we did try. Uh, but um, again, it was the, um, you know, her, she was in one bedroom. I was in, a, in another bedroom and we were just kind of just roommates. And um, there was just that, uh, um, you know, you knew that it was serious. I think Sherry talked about it. We, we just, um, we weren't fighting about it so much anymore. Cause I think, she was just so beat down and just uh, exhausted over it. So she comes back from, from her friends and, and then we're here. And it was just, uh, it was just literally, it was just inevitable that it was going to, that it was going to go that direction. Wow. Wow. So um, w- was there much knowing that the kids weren't going to come back to the house? And I mean, that must've made it easy for you when she presented it to you as you need to leave or I'm going to, I know what kind of a loving father you are. You must've said, well, it's gotta be me. Cause I can't deny my kids the possibility of coming back into the house. Am I putting words in your mouth or is that how that how, kind of how it played out? No, it's how it played out. I knew that it, that, that it had to be me, but it doesn't take away uh, the, the, the pain uh, of, uh, of, of me standing in the way of them coming home and finding just an, um, an ounce of peace. It's uh, literally probably um, the, hardest part not to diminish anything between Mindy and I but it was literally heartbreaking that um that I had turned into uh, uh such a, a a demon or a monster that I literally stood in the way of of not only Mindy but um the, the kids just having an, an ounce of peace um and and look part of my drinking was um I didn't know how to deal with uh, a, a job or kids getting older and moving out and what it looked like for Mindy and I to be empty nesters. And so here it is, uh, the kids are going to finally move back in and I knew it was temporary. Um, but the only way that they move in um, is, is, is the only way that they move back is for, is for me to move out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine what that felt like. Um. Okay. So, uh, and, and, you know, on top of all of it, like you said, it's the holiday period too. Um, so you, was it hard to find an apartment? Like, was that, was that process smooth? And, and what was your mindset? Were you thinking I need a 10 year lease? Cause this is my new home. Or were you hopeful that this would be a temporary thing? Truth be told, uh, I, I thought if I, said i found a place um that that mindy would have said hey whoa 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 uh let's let's pump the brakes a little bit here that's uh that's maybe too drastic um let's uh, let's see if we could figure out an- another way um so for me a little bit uh of it what was the money i didn't want to throw away uh whatever it was at the, the apartment so i found one well, I found several, but you know, look, Mindy wasn't healthier. She she would, you know, here's the thing. I would go uh same as I was doing with with the with the shout group and the AA is like, hey, look at what I've done. Look at this. Um, kind of in hopes that she'd say, hey, you know, let's forget that. 
um, and just stay here. And uh, that, you know, that she, uh, I didn't say, I don't want to say she dug her heels in, but there's just no uh, change in uh, what was going to happen, the, the course of the events. So I did, I found a place. Um, and then uh, ultimately, um, yeah, at the end of January, um, yeah, I, we, I signed, um, fortunately for me, I signed what was a six month lease. And um, I think we kind of went into this saying, hey, we've, we're going to just take a break and pause and no attorneys, no anything. Um, let's both uh, try to see if we can figure out a way to get healthier um, and, and breathe. And and um, we can still talk and communicate and, and be friends, but you know we have to do this. So, yeah, I found a place and it wasn't far from where we live. So it was a relatively new apartment, condo, whatever you want to call it. So, um, so it was only six I, months, Matt, to answer your question. I, I think that that mindset that you just described is so important and so common. One of the dangers for Sherry and I, because we do, we are so interested in the relationship component of this and we, and we get to know people uh, and their relationships and both sides. One of the dangers in that is we, we meet a lot of people who come and express interest in our shout sobriety group. And really they're just doing it to check a box on a list so that they can say to their spouse, look, I, you told me to find a recovery program. I found one. I'm in this thing. And so the, you know, they're, they're sometimes there, sometimes not um, engagement is, is kind of low sometimes. And uh, I have a buddy who does uh, he does therapeutic work, uh, addiction recovery work. Uh, and a lot of what he does is court ordered. And it kind of reminds me of that. There's people in that room that are trying to get their piece of paper signed so they can take it back to the judge. And that's what it feels like sometimes. So when you describe all these things that you were doing, okay, I found an apartment. Okay, I found a program. I'm not actually interested in any of this, but I'm doing it because uh, this is what I was asked to do. And I think it's going to change the, the direction uh, moving forward if I actually do these things. Was there a moment when, was it move out day? Was there a moment when you were like, okay, this is really happening. And, you know, were you still pretty frustrated? When, when was the turning point when you were like, oh, um, maybe this is what Mindy needs. Did you ever come to the point where you were like, this is what I need to? That's a lot. Of, that's like nine questions. You can pick one of them, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was it was truly what um i needed to to do um so it's the end of january the week before um you know we, the week be, the week before um was kind of a, a a good week with um with our middle daughter being home so we were watching some some shows and it seemed half normal um and still kind of desperate clinging to the fact that um you know many of us can say hey you know let's let's not um you know, you've got whatever it is, three, five, six, seven days or whatever of sobriety. So let's just keep going forward. Um, and then in in Springfield, we had had uh, some some snow and, and I couldn't I couldn't move in that weekend. But I'm not deaf. I I I literally heard um, Dr. Dad was moving out. Um, so it's kind of one of those. Um, wow. You know, those Green Mile movements that uh, you, you, you know, um, it's inevitable and you can't stop uh, the clock. And so I knew it, it was the end of uh, January. I could have moved in any time, but it, it worked out better on a weekend. So the shitty part really was, um, you know, 
I, we, I had to uh, reach out to our kids' friends to to help me move into the apartment because the bed that I had, it wouldn't fit into either one of our SUVs. So I had to get their, them to help. They kind of helped um, move in. Mm-hmm. Our middle daughter was frustrated as she had found um, a beer can hidden and, and it sent her over the edge. And, and uh, so she packed some of my stuff up. Um, just throws it in a suitcase. So, so the moving weekend, Matt, was that that I'm um, moving in, and 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 Mindy and and our youngest was there, and they're trying to make the best of it by saying this great place. And Mindy's like, man, you got all the smart electronics that you can operate everything from your phone, and um, you know, and then and then they they all just left, and then there the, it wasn't warm. Um, it was it was just cold, dreary, and and, and miserable. And I didn't want a smart lamp or smart uh, thermostat i just wanted to be back uh, with them so thank goodness in a way that that mindy didn't waver in in that that um i could then at that point in my mind if we're talking about emotion and what was going through my mind i literally that um that that saturday uh after everyone had left and there weren't many there's four people that helped me move in after they left I, re- I remember just um going into the bath and just crying um and and thinking uh, how did this happen? I hated myself. I hated the fact that I drank. And so it was kind of like a, a, the most defining of moments ever for me that um, I thought I'm going to quit faking this work attempt on sobriety and I'm going to find it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to find it. And I, and I knew then that I had to understand and appreciate that even if I did find the sobriety, it might be too late for me and Mindy, but my hope was that at least I could um, reconcile a little bit with the with the three kids because it was terrible for them while I was here. So um, that was that was that that was a moving week, and those were the thoughts that were kind of going through my head, the emotions behind it, what it what it looked like, hopeful right up until the very end that we could do it, and then um, had truth be told, had Mindy said, "Hey, you know, stop, stop, stop." Uh, we'll forego the first and last month's deposit stay here i probably i would probably still be drinking now so here i got uh end of this month end of november will be 22 months um and i would probably still be fighting it and battling it had um she said hey let's uh, let's try to figure this out because i had to i had to do it on my own i had to do it by myself wow that is impactful so so that was that that time in the bathroom after they left, that was when you, the mind shift changed and you said, all right, this is real. And I got to do this. Did you, you like me, this is not me throwing stones. Um, I had a lot of relapses in my story and I know that you had experienced relapses, you know, sounds like with some kind of fake attempts at sobriety, not fake, but, um, where you weren't all in, did you ever relapse during the time you were in the apartment? Not once. Wow. So that really was a, a turning point. Yeah, I um, there's no there's no doubt I had a tremendous amount of support and help with friends here. Um, and then um, I reached out uh, in, in an attempt. I reached out and, you know, I don't, I, to, to people that were within shout. Um, so I, without saying their names, you, you, I mean, you know who some of them are. I literally uh, reached out. That Saturday night, um, that Sunday, I went to to church, and then uh, I kind of made deals, if you will, the, the way that uh, I would pray. That uh, 
um you know and some of it too matt was uh i was i was frightened being alone um in an apartment uh it truly does um shake you to the core um and to me it was literally the um idea what if um now what if my my health is compromised what if in the five six seven years or whatever drinking really really heavily what if uh, i can't unscrew that piece up so i was uh yeah i was scared to death about that it is it strikes me your story is very similar to sherry and i's in that you guys were college sweethearts so you go from home right where you're around family to uh college where you're around lots of people um and you know the the woman that you fall in love with in college becomes your wife and here you are you know a couple of decades later in an apartment alone for the first time um really kind of the first time you're alone in your whole life right right wow that i mean that's definitely you're you're going to respond to that in one of two ways um i think and i'm just so glad that you chose the healthy way and to make the best of what that opportunity was affording you, even though um, I think your description of had she, had she been willing to back out right to the very end, you would have been on board with that. That's exactly, that's, ex I would have been waiting for you, Sherry, to say, Oh, never mind, put your stuff back in the car. And, and, and at the time I didn't, you know, I, we never went through this, but I just know I would have thought that you were right on the edge. Like, Oh, maybe, maybe she really doesn't. When I know now you would have been like, invite you back in. I was thinking we'd just leave your stuff on the curb and you would deal with getting into the, like you would, you would have been uh, all about it. Our minds would have been in such different places at the time. Anyway, I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm living through it with you as you describe it, Tom. Um, so thanks for sharing it so descriptively. Brian, can you talk about um, kind of the lead up to and then the eventual um, discussion about uh, separation for you? Sure, absolutely. And Tom, my heart breaks for you, man. I've, there's so many parallels in your story and Matt's and everything. Uh, Nicole and I met when we were 18, like I mentioned earlier. And so we've been together. I've never been alone in my entire life. So the separation was was horrifying and, and the worst experience I've, I've ever gone through. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had failed attempts at sobriety. Um, I, I was a dry drunk sober for a good amount of time, but it was all white knuckling and, and it wasn't real. You know, I didn't, I wasn't actively uh, seeking recovery. I was just trying to hold on uh, for some time. So I had quit in 2021 and, over about 18 months, I, I just, I lost it at some point and um, got back to drinking completely uh, secretly. I mean, like, I don't know how I pulled it off, to be honest with you. And I didn't, you know, I think, you know, obviously Nicole knew there was something wrong with me. Um, but uh, there was a, a day, and I, I'm so embarrassed to say these things, but my son was going to get his permit. And I took him for his driving test and uh, we came home. My son and I came home. We had to go a bit a ways because, you know, getting a driving test is, is a challenge these days since COVID. It's almost impossible to get appointments for stuff like that. And uh, we, he, he went and passed his driving test and we were all, you know, excited and whatever. We come home and I had a stash of, uh, of alcohol that was discovered by Nicole 
that afternoon after the driving test. And uh, I say, you know, I had the bottle thrown at me. It wasn't really thrown at me. It was basically uh, rolled at my feet. And uh, the visuals are much better when you say it's thrown at you. But anyway, um, the bottle was rolled at my feet. And uh, and I just, I looked at her and I said, I'll leave. Um, because we were living under the assumption that I wasn't drinking anymore. And I had broken the last bit of trust that I'd ever tried to gain. And so I walked out of the house. I didn't want to have a blow up in front of my son who you know, was just getting his license for the first time and all that. And um, I, I left the house. It was late afternoon. I went to my office and, uh, and Nicole says, you need to get help. And so I started researching treatment centers uh, immediately and I made a phone call and I was, I was ready that night to pack and leave, uh, to go check into a treatment center. I wouldn't have gotten there until almost midnight. It was going to be late evening. Um, and so I came home to kind of gather some stuff and she's like, you're not driving tonight, you know, cause I'd had some alcohol and, um, <laughs> in my words, not that much, you know, how that goes. Right. Um, but, uh, I was fully prepared to go check in. She said, well, why don't you sleep it off and we'll get you there in the morning. And so then I, that whole night I kept coming up with ways. How can I get out of this? How can I not go to this treatment center? How can I not be away from my family, uh, in my community? I'm a very public figure. And, um, I knew there was going to be all kinds of wreckage that came from disappearing. And so I was trying to find every possible angle or Avenue. So the next morning we get up and, I'm supposed to take my son. He did his driver's test. I'm supposed to take him to the DMV to get his official license. And um, before that, before he's up, we, we start talking. I'm actually, it might have been after. But anyway, regardless, um, uh, I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I, I said, I have a way to, to, to protect us from all the questions of my disappearing like this. What if I stay and I sleep in this room over here and I, you know, I do a, P test every day. Like I was willing to do like all these things. You know, I was going to say, I'm going to commit to AA. I'm going to, I, I had this whole checklist. If I do this, 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 and this, how can we protect the family from going through what we're fixing to go through? And, and she basically looked at me and said, I need you gone. Like, I need you out of here. Um, and I realized at that point that there was no way out, um, that something drastic had to happen. And, um, Man, that was that was the worst day of my life. Um, so, got my kid his his license and had to had to the day he got his license, she drove me to a treatment center and dropped me off, and I bawled almost the entire way there. Um, I was just I couldn't look at her. I stared stared out the window, tears rolling down my cheeks, and. Checked into the treatment center and I felt like I was going to prison. You know, I, I, I described the places I, I walked in. It, it smelled like a nasty daycare, you know, all the antiseptic spray and all the cleaning things. And it just, it was, I felt just, I felt like I was in a horror film. Um, let, let me ask you, I want to, I want to know when she said um, that she needed you gone. This this is something that I think is really interesting about this process. Did you take that as 
I'm, I'm mad at you. I'm frustrated with you. Um, I can't stand the sight of you. Was there any part of you that recognized that she needed space for her own healing? And the reason I ask that is because, um, I, I would, I was oblivious to, to that whole concept. I, I mean, I recognize in, in her words and in her face that she absolutely needed me out of her sight. Um, for what purpose in terms of healing or anger? I didn't, I don't think I recognized that in the moment. Um, so no, I, I, the whole healing part and, and her trauma and her recovery, it took me quite a bit to understand that. Um, and probably through you guys is probably where I got the best glimpse in that. Um, you know, so I go to this place and so I'm there for 30 days and there's almost zero communication between us. And this is, like I said, we've been together almost 30 years. Um, she's been my only love in my entire life. Um, we've been partners since we were 18 years old, nobody else in our lives. And, and so I had no idea what was going to happen next. Um, somewhere partway through my time there, she started telling me, you need to find a place to live when you get home because you're not coming back here. Um, I didn't know when I got out, if I was going to come home to papers on the table to sign. Um, I had no idea, you know, she went through a phase of her only form of communication with me at one point at, at treatment was your email and my, you know, our sick disease brains when we're, when we're not well are so paranoid, you know, and I was creating all these evil fantasies of this is, this is her, her lawyer telling her to only email for communication. Don't text, don't call, don't, you know, like nothing, keep a paper trail. Like I had all these things playing in my head. Um, and, and honestly, there's people with treatment that probably weren't helping the case a whole lot. They're like, Oh, forget her. Oh, she's, you know, they were. And I, and I couldn't, I couldn't accept that. Like I, I knew that we were soulmates and I knew that we had to recover from this somehow. So, you know, she wanted me to get in a, apartment and, and I didn't, you know, Tom, like you, I didn't want to make that financial investment. I didn't want to sign a 12 month lease or even six month lease. I was doing everything I could to find, you know, a month to month, week to week. I was like, I gotta get out of here. I can show her I'm better. You know, I was, I was bombarding her. I was harassing her with all the, all the new knowledge I was learning. Matt, you talk about this browbeating them with, with all the, the, the education that I was getting quote unquote, right about this disease and how it's not my fault and it's alcohol, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I, and I was naive and stupid and I didn't understand her recovery part. And so I was, I was making all these assumptions that, that everything was just going to be okay because I got, I got healthy or I stopped drinking. I, I thought that was enough. In a way, I think the way she communicated while you were in rehab was a blessing to you. I'm sure it didn't feel like it at the time, but a lot of people go to those 30 day rehabs and they expect you know, this warm welcome when they get back, like the, the hero is returning, he's healed and he's ready to retake the castle. At least that cold shoulder she was giving you communication wise, at least you knew the road was a lot longer than 30 days. Uh, you know, we, we call her Mrs. Incredible for a reason. She's, she's an amazing person, amazing woman. And, and she's very strong. She, she, she lets you know when, when you're not right. And so I, I learned a lot over those 30 days. And when I, I ultimately what ended up finding, so I came home and, and I was looking for stuff still. I, ne I never, well, I did commit to a lease. And then the problem is where we live, there are not cheap living uh, options for us, uh, unless you're on a low income situation there. You know, if you're, 
in a certain bracket, you're you're going to be paying a lot of money to live month to month around here. Luckily, there was a, a guy in treatment that lives somewhat in this area. Um, he had a travel trailer camper um, that he rented to me. And so I lived in a travel trailer, it's a tiny little thing, like 18 feet or something like that. And it was tiny, tiny. And this, we're talking about mid-June, July, and August. I mean, you're talking about hot, hot, hot. Oh, gosh, it was miserable. Um, and it was, it was you know, the, the 30 days in treatment was bad, but at least I had community there. You know, I had people to talk to up until bedtime. I had meals prepared for me, um, a bit of recreation. I mean, there, there it wasn't a hotel. It wasn't a retreat. It wasn't a getaway. Don't get me wrong. But uh, living in that travel trailer, separated from my family, that was probably where I really understood the gravity of the situation. Um, and I was there for a couple, two or three months, a little more than two months, I guess. And it was torture. And, and, and Tom, like you, I stayed sober the entire time. I haven't slipped. I'm coming up on six months here in the next week and a half. Um, and if there was ever a time that I could have snuck a drink, boy, that was it. You're talking about living in a camper outside of town. Nobody knows who I am. I mean, I could have done all kinds of nefarious type things. And I, my only focus was get well, show, show me a better version of myself and, and pray and pray and pray that her recovery in time was going to lead us back together. Um, we had some health issues in the family. One of our kids was, was not well. Um, which kind of forced our hand and I came back home um, living across the house in our extra bedroom. So we're back in a kind of a roommate scenario now. Um, but coming up on six months, day by day, little by little, we're getting closer and closer. And um, I have full confidence that we're going to heal from all this. I know we've come a long, long way. I mean, obviously I didn't know if I'd ever get to be in the same group with her again. And so um you know, it's a process. It's one step at a time. And, and my program, you know, AA and this program here, the accountability is what's keeping me straight. Uh, the motivation, though, was the greatest while I was away. So you're motivated in the travel trailer and it's an uncomfortable situation. One of the things that we go through in recovery that's I, I mean, I think it's universal for uh, us people um, who have had a drinking problem and are are. Uh, facing sobriety and trying to get healthy is we're dealing with emotions without our tool to numb the emotions. So I'm wondering when you're in that, you know, fairly hellish situation, no accountability outside of town, like you described was, I mean, I remember in early sobriety, the waves of emotion, you know, and I had to learn to just, Oh, this one that I'm not enjoying, it'll pass. I, I can't make it go away. I just got to sit through it and then something better will come. Did you have, swings when you were in that situation where, um, you know, you felt anger for the situation. Um, I, I know that the, the big, the eye on the prize is, uh, we've got to make this work and I've got to do the work to get healthy, but, but was there ebbs and flows? Did you ever just get angry and frustrated that, um, you were kind of exiled the way you were? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I tried all kinds of distractions. I mean, I, since, since being, you know, exiled, um, I've really jumped into fitness. You know, when I went away back in May, I was 235 pounds, sloppy, ugly, um, just 
poisoned, right? I was, I was filling my body with toxins and, and I wasn't prioritizing my health in, in any form or fashion. Um, while I was away, I started, you know, jogging and, and trying to work out more. I've always been into trying to work out some, but I started working out more. Um, I'm down to upper one nineties, just under 200 pounds. Um, I can actually see my abdominal muscles for the first time in my entire life. I was a big offensive lineman in high school and college. And now I have almost an eight pack and I'm like, this is cool, man. Like I never thought I could do that. And here I am at 47 years old, um, looking in the mirror and liking what I see for the first time ever in my entire life. So I, I've jumped into fitness. Um, I distracted myself with, you know, watching movies, you know, sitting in that travel trailer, you know, I'd get, I'd go to a meeting, an AA meeting, and then I'd go home and uh, try to watch a movie almost every night, you know, watch old series of the, episode of the uh, sitcom coach, you know, like I just tried to distract myself with, with entertainment when, when it was the dark hours, you know what I mean? Like, I know you've talked about the witching hours, witching hours is when I was trying to work out, you know, the three, four or five o'clock range is when I used to want to take a drink. So I started filling that time with, physical exercise. Um, and that helps because it, the, the different type of, you know, chemicals produced when you're working out, you know, helped me get that, that high that I was needing or that I was looking for. And then, and then the meeting helped on the spirituality piece, uh, and the accountability piece. And then after that, then it was, okay, how do I distract myself until I go to bed <laughs> because I didn't want my mind racing. Um, and so, you know, watching movies and different things like that, that, that was kind of how I filled my my afternoons when I wasn't at work. Mom, what was like, what was your re-entry like or the conversation or um, like when you were in the apartment, did you, how did you and Mindy kind of come to the finality of your apartment dwelling? Okay. Yeah. Sherry, uh, great question because we kind of went into this thing knowing that we had that six month window. Um, so it could have, uh, it, it could have been uh, renewed, uh, uh, but we had just, um, we just uh, we just talked about it to, to see what it was going to be like when I was after the six months, um, our middle daughter was just about ready to 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 move out. So it was kind of like the timing of it was going to be OK. Our oldest was going to be here for just a little bit longer than he was going to be going up to Kansas City. So there was going to be a tiny the tiniest amount of overlap of um, the kids here and then me. Um, moving back in um, but we just thought we would just um, um, uh, you know how you guys have your weekly meetings so Mindy and I were going to then uh, talk uh, every single morning um, uh, you know if you know what we were feeling um, what we might have learned um, and um, we were just going to um, make sure that we made an effort to um, not only uh, listen to one another, but, you know, hear um, each other. Um, and I, I think that was probably the thing that um, helped us the, mo the most, you know, knowing that, you know, here I got the six months in. Um, and a lot of it is, too, Sherry, um, you know, not only was it hard and difficult for me to um, on that journey, but, um, you know, Mindy was doing a lot of work uh, on on her own, Um the podcast after podcast and um, the the group within echoes or whatever. So we were both working hard um, and we were both really fortunate that we were in a position that we could do that. And both of us just breathe um, for a moment where, you know, Mindy, I think had some, some fun during that six months with the girls where they're trying to set up 
um, some furniture and, uh, you know, something happens. They, one of them gets rolled up in the carpet or whatever. So they just laughed uh, because they could actually, um, you know, one of your other calls, you talked about a lot of the uh, nervous health uh, kind of being nervous system being kind of restored. Um, I, I think um, I know that happened for, for Mindy and, and the girls that I wasn't there. And it, it kind of happened for me as well. So, Fortunately, thank goodness, we were both working towards um, the, the the same sort of result, uh, us moving back in. So it was kind of probably easier than what some people might think, the transition coming back in, Sherry. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I can imagine like with that nervous system regulation and you guys working on yourselves, it kind of does make it a little easier to like... I don't want to say tolerant, but it's the only word that comes to mind, being tolerant of one another or forgiving or gracious or understanding. Because when you're in that chaos and you're so defensive and your nerve endings are just, you know, frayed, there isn't a lot of room for trying to be kind of calm and accept a situation. So I can imagine that that made it a little easier for both of you to kind of be able to focus on yourself and not be firing each other up in a way and yeah that that sherry and and the other thing that i don't think could be be overlooked is um maybe it's a function of the group within echoes that they that they don't judge that they don't say really and after all that you can let him come back um so there's none of that and then i made it a point within the group uh you know within shout that, that people were just extremely honest and i made it a point to not surround my look what i could have done is um leaned on my sisters in St. Louis saying I'm here and or Tom and and trust me they would have come out uh, and they would have circled the wagons and there would have been a lot of negativity towards uh Mindy and we just literally removed uh I don't know if it's by design but we clearly um removed any of that what could have been an obstacle to us trying to work towards something uh by just focusing on ourselves and 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 not having to deal with any of the um outside negativity um so so that so that piece helped as, as well i just didn't want that piece to kind of get uh overlooked uh, during that during the six months is it was all kind of uh you know positive honest uh conversations related to this knowing that um mindy just didn't have um outside of echoes, there wasn't support for my family and there wasn't support like you would have within a community. So like if I had uh, got diagnosed with stage four cancer, there'd be all sorts of, you'd come home from the doctors and there'd be a litany of paperwork for her and support groups and support groups and church members, bacon force. There was nothing. There was, if there was ever a conversation um, to Mindy for many of our outside friends, there's like, Hey, how's Tom doing? And never, how um, are you during, uh, how are you doing during all, all this? So, um, that moving back, removing some of that stuff, Sherry, really, really w went a long ways, I think. Well, that's a great point that instead of both of you kind of in this victim mode, woe is me, feel sorry for me, you surrounded yourself with positive community. And instead of you going, like you said, to your siblings, your sisters, and wanting them to kind of, so I love how you said, circle the wagon. You chose not to do that because you knew that that wasn't going to be beneficial to you. So I love that you had that clarity. And then it just worked out for both of you to participate in those positive communities and, and find the help. 
that works for you. The other thing you pointed out that is so important, you talked about how you daily would have conversations, just check in. This is what I've learned. And I loved how you described it. You weren't just listening to each other. You're actually hearing each other. At the root of most of, if not all of these relationship issues uh, that, that, you know, we talk about how sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it's a prerequisite. Um, after the alcohol is out of the way, at the root of all the remaining issues is usually poor communication or lack of communication. Uh, and so the fact that you guys have made such a point to work through that, I, I think it's a testament to you both. And it's also uh, a huge factor in the success that you're finding uh, in rebuilding the relationship. So I think, th I think that's super important. Um, Brian, you talked about the fact that your reentry was, was kind of sped up by a medical thing. I'm imagining that, you know, Nicole was probably, um, I don't want to put words into her mouth. She's not here to defend herself, but did you feel uh, any resentment from her that, okay, you've got to come back. This thing has forced our hand. I'm not really ready. I don't really want you here, but you're here anyway. Did, was that the feeling when you got back? Not exactly. I, I think deep down again, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I know what my heart is. My heart is that uh, we've always been meant for each other. And so I think, I think the reentry was at some level inevitable. Um, the biggest concern was the many times in, in our conversations and, and, and to Tom's point, the communication and your point, the communication is so important. I, I want to give her a lot of credit. Like even from the day I walked back in the house after coming back from treatment, we have been extremely open and honest in communication since that moment. Not so much prior, obviously, when I was sick and diseased and not well, but since returning, even when things weren't good, we have been able to communicate well and as you said that that's that's key in everything in our recovery and our reconciliation but i, I feel like it was almost inevitable and I, I hope that she felt the same way um what what worries me and is or has worried me is that the comments that she's made over the last six months about not feeling safe with me um there were times prior to my uh, getting sober where she's, she made comments like she would come up to see my son for, for bedtime routine uh, up the stairs. And she said she would feel lighter as she walked up the stairs, getting away from me. Um, and then when I reentered the house, she still doesn't feel safe or relaxed in my presence at times. I think that, it, I think that is waning at this point. Uh, but again, I don't want to speak for her, but I just know that that was a concern. And so my reentry, um, I was worried about how how her level of relaxation would be affected. You know, like when I'm not away and when I'm not in the room, obviously she's not tight and she's not stressed and she's not worried. When I'm present, at what level am I agitating her just by being in, in, in the room? I don't know. And so that's why being under the same roof has been a bit of a challenge um, because I want to respect her space. And I want her to feel safe. I, I And I told her that I want her to feel comfortable. And I can't rush that. That's nothing I have any control over. I understand that. Um, other than just keep doing what I'm doing, the next right thing, and, and, and staying diligent in my recovery. Um, it's just about time. 
I've learned through you guys and, and others that it's it's just about time and, and repeated positive behaviors on my part that will, you know, hopefully ease some of that as we move forward. But, you know, we're, we're going through another life tragedy in the moment um, that is, is bonding us in this particular moment here in the last week. And I think we're closer now than we have been in the last six months. Um, and even though I don't like the tragedy we're dealing with right now, I like the feeling of being closer to her. Um, and I, I think I feel her relaxing more in my presence, but again, that's my perception. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to jump in on that from the, you know, partner side, it does take a long time to kind of let your guard down and relax. And, and then, you know, with stints of sobriety that Matt had back and forth or his kind of controlled drinking and things weren't so bad and then it would, you know, escalate. And so the up and down roller coaster, that's where I had a lot of feelings of unsafety was that inconsistency in his behavior. So I'm really hoping and praying for you both that this, challenge that you're facing right now and the way you handle this with sobriety under your belt is gonna like be a, like you said you're feeling like you're closer now dealing with this and I'm hoping that it continues like that because those are the things that would kind of I would wait like if we had a challenge and Matt stepped up to the challenge and things were going well and then it was you know in, in sobriety or attempts at sobriety but then it would be like a week or two later maybe you would start drinking yeah because it would just, you know, so I would always be like withholding, you know, and less optimistic as those events happen. So I'm really hoping that in sobriety, this will. Well, I, I think, work out. yeah, that like that, sure that consistency in behavior that leads in really well to, as you were talking, Brian, Brian, I was thinking about the fact that you said early on in your recovery work, you were bombarding her. I think that was the the word you used with information about all that you were learning was it a was it a gradual process or was there kind of an aha moment that you realized um that's you know that's not working to your advantage and giving her space and um you know and the, and the room to do her stuff and and just kind of you know stay out of her hair i mean like like don't tell me show me yeah just just kind of keep making your progress, but I don't need to hear about it every, did, did that, was that a light bulb moment for you or, or was it gradual that you realized communication wise? We talk a lot about communication, but you can't overwhelm at the same time. What was that realization like for you? I think it was a, it was a combination of a couple of things. I, I, I think I got the hint from her, <laughs> a gentle hint from her that it wasn't working. Um, but I also, I, I think a lot of it has to do probably, and, I, and I'm, speaking uh as a newbie here with almost six months like i think that's part of the natural evolution of becoming sober and in recovery is that you have all this new information you're like the aha this is what was wrong with me and you want to share that with everybody um but then then comes the realization who cares just you know work on yourself and 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 like like you said, show you, show, show better. Don't talk better, show better. And so um, no matter what I say, if I'm not backing it with, you know, believable action, it doesn't matter. And so I, I think it was a combination of getting the hint that it wasn't really doing any good. In fact, it was probably doing more harm than anything. Um, 
and then also this a, a little bit more maturity as my brain started to act more uh, appropriately and, and start to understand things more clearly. It 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 it, it was nonsense. It wasn't nonsense because it was legitimate, but it it wasn't doing any good. And I I think I realized that I just needed to change who I was and how I behaved more than talk about it. Yeah, that that evolution. It, there is a, a natural component to that. As long as you're paying attention and you're sincere and you're not just going through the motions. That's a great, great answer, Brian. Tom, I want to ask you the same question that I asked Kyle. Um, you are coming up on two years, right, Tom? Uh, right. Just a couple of months away. Um, and the, you know, you make progress and the communication piece is a huge component of that. But the, in our opinion, for Sherry and I, the, the trust and intimacy piece is the last thing to come back. Do you feel like there is still room to grow from a trust perspective um, or are you across the, the elusive finish line? No, there's, there's still work that needs to, to, to be done. I'm, um, you know, we still talk about it. So the communication is still there. I'm not sure what it looks like. Um, Matt, I, I know that some of it, uh, it is just on me. I've talked with you about it. Um, you know, the friends that I have within, um, within shout, um, it's, it's the, the, uh, the whole, uh, self-compassion, self-forgiveness thing or whatever. I, I you know, I just don't, um, I, I just, I, we can't get to a certain place, um, because, and maybe, you know, finding a good therapist has helped. Mindy talking with Mindy, because maybe this keeps me uh, really sober, um, you know, uh, or, or the journey of sobriety um, keeps me so uh, laser focused on that because of how bad it was. Um, but we can't um, get to a, the next level um, until I can let go of something. I don't know whether it's guilt, shame or whatever it does. It, I don't know how much it matters. Um, I just can't um, let go of the uh the idea of um, how bad that I got, uh, you know, this family that I love and cherish so much. And I, I, it, it, it got that bad and I'm struggling with that. So um, I don't know if that answered your question because we're clearly, Min and I aren't there um, and we're, we're working so hard uh, to get to a certain place. Uh, we're just not there yet because uh, I think Mindy's ready to say, you know, it, it's happened. It's in the past. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, move on. I'm tired of almost kind of tired of talking about the stupid shit that you did. Um, but I can't seem to let go of it. I mean, it absolutely answers the question coming up on two years. There's still work to be done. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand. I, when I used to talk about the duration, how hard recovery was and how long-term it was, it used to terrify me. Even when I just would look at the, you know, uh, post-acute withdrawal sy syndrome, symptoms and talk about how there's a lot of stuff, neurotransmitters refiring, all of that. It takes about a year. I would think about a year. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Who has a year to get healthy? And then when we started working on relationship stuff, we're like, wow, a year would be great. Like that's not in the cards. We're talking multiple years and, and, and really starting to look at it. Like this is just a process for the rest of our lives. We're going to, we're going to continue to, um, improve the relationship as we go along. And there really isn't a finish line. That was a really kind of helpful way to think about it for me. 
I really appreciate your vulnerability, Tom. You, you talked about, you know, how there's parts that you're struggling to let go of as far as the, the chaos and the trauma and the aftermath. Um, do you feel any sense of, you know, I, I talk a lot about how self-esteem is so important. That is so, that is the cure for addiction and prevention of addiction. And it's the cure for the, the, the spouse side too, the loved one side too. We got to feel good about ourselves. Do you feel any sense of pride knowing that not only you're maintaining sobriety, but that you've done the work on the relationship to be going in a positive direction? Cause there's so many people, I know you can get in trouble making comparisons, um, but there's so many people who don't make it as far as you have. Did, do you feel any pride from that, Tom? Yeah, Matt, I do. I feel uh, a little sense of pride in both the working on the relationship and the working on the um, sobriety. But um, unfortunately, the the flip side of that is, um, uh, and I'll say it and I'll kind of tread lightly uh, because this applies to me and not other people. But for me, um, it's hard to recognize um, feeling proud or feeling accomplished on, on something that's expected. You're you're expected to be a loving um, parent and, and and husband, and you're expected to 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 maintain some sobriety and maybe a fun weekend or whatever can happen. Uh, but the way that I was self medicated, you know, it's it it. I'm proud, yes. Um, and there's a big piece of me that wish, although this I'm these are so many blessings that I have with this group and my friends within Shout and talking with Brian and everything. It, and Mindy's new friends, there's still a huge part, Matt, that wishes that nightmare hadn't happened. So uh, I'm proud in a sense, yeah. And then uh, again, um, I, you know, I'm not going to go around and, and and boast that I got to however many months and, and that I don't drink um, because as an adult, responsible adult, those are some of the things that those are the bare minimum things that you should be doing. So but I got to say your, your contribution to the world, having come through what you came through and sharing it so openly in a forum like this is much greater than had you just been an occasional moderate drinker who mostly maintained those ex- expectations. I'm not, you're right. You're not wrong. I mean, the, the bare minimum expectations of, you know, a mutual protection agreement and uh, acting responsibly toward each other is important, but I, I just think, um, what you're doing now, uh, obviously we wouldn't wish this on our worst enemy, but the knowledge that you've gained and your willingness to share it is just remarkable. Um, Brian, what, what, where does that piece fit for you? Do you at, at coming up on six months, do you feel a sense of pride for all you've accomplished, not only in your own recovery, but in, in your relationship and the mending process is taking place? The short answer is yes, and, and what Tom was talking, I, I pictured Chris Rock saying that's something you're supposed to do. You know, he, he talks about you shouldn't get rewarded or applauded or given credit for something you're supposed to do, like being a good father or doing all these things. So I, I heard Chris Rock's voice when you were talking, Tom, so I, I, I appreciated that. Um, you know, it, pride is a scary thing. You know, um, I was too prideful. Uh, before coming into this. And so I have to be very, very careful when we talk about pride. Um, I'm 175 days sober and I'm proud of that. Um, Matt, you know, I'm a coach 
and uh, just faced the absolute worst season of my entire career. Um, but every day I woke up one more day a winner because I didn't drink, you know? And so I counted my daily victories um, over my other career victories. And um, so I am proud of that. I am. Um, and, and much like Tom, you know, I think I even said this to Nicole the other night, like, I am so thankful for the person I'm becoming. I just wish I hadn't, I hadn't had to go through what I did to get here. You know, same thing that Thomas saying, same sentiment. And it's, um, you know, I go to my AA meetings and I, I hear him always talk. When I first went in, I didn't understand. I hear these people say, I'm a grateful alcoholic. And what the hell is a grateful alcoholic? Um, but this way of life that I'm living now, the life I was supposed to be living, um, is so much better. Um, so I, I don't, I don't wear the alcoholic badge with honor, but I am, I'm very grateful for what I'm learning about myself and how I'm better suited to treat others and accept life on life's terms in a much, much better way now, um, that I, that I, I couldn't do before discovering a, that I was an alcoholic and be being supremely diligent in my active recovery. So, um, so I am proud of, of my efforts, but I have to be careful not to put pride too high on my list. Well, I, I just want to thank both of you and Kyle as well, who had to had another commitment and had to drop off a little early. Um, but we appreciate all three of you telling your story. The words that come to mind is, you know, that finding that balance of pride and humility but then also being willing to be vulnerable and doing all of that under the umbrella of the commitment that you have to yourself and your families. Um, I think that's the winning recipe and boy, oh boy, is that complex and, and not easy. And it's not one size fits all, but finding a way to make that all work is um, so important. And so you, you guys sharing your perspectives and your specifics as you work through it, is really great. And I, I hope our listeners, um, as we said at the outset, the, this is the third in a, in an unintentional series, uh, on separation, but, uh, I hope some of our listeners have changed their mindset, whether they experience this or not, that separation is not just the first step to divorce. I mean, it can be sometimes, but separation can also be therapeutic and it can lead to, um, these changes in mindset set that changed the trajectory of the rest of your life. So really important stuff. Thank you guys so much for being a part of the Intoxicated Thank Podcast. You. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sherry. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.